thank you all for being here. Uh, it is a privilege and a joy to come to you today um, in this message I've been saving for years now. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, open up your Bibles. You can open them up to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Most of you probably have the very same edition of the LSB as me. It's page, you know, 800, what is that, 860. So it's easy, right? You don't even need to use your references anymore. Um, just from the onset, let me just say, I'm going to be speaking this morning about fatherhood. And this is not because I have arrived as a father, but because I am convinced by what the Word of God says to and about fathers. And I must share it with you this morning. This is not just this is not just a message I've had in the hopper for the last two years or so. This is a message that I must preach to you this morning, and am convinced you must all hear this morning about true biblical fatherhood. Now that being said, I'm convinced even if you are not at this moment raising kids in your home, that this message has much, much to tell you. For one, um, young men, I'm just asking you a question this morning. What are you becoming? What are you becoming this morning? Are you becoming someone like what we will be describing this morning? Older men who maybe do not have children in the home or maybe have never had any children in your home, well, what, are you, what are you modeling? Are you an example of anything that we are talking about today? With that being said, with our Bibles open, let's, let's go to the word of the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we get to gather here and be with so many like-minded men. It's an encouragement simply to be here and be reminding ourselves of what truly matters, what truly matters in our life and in our hearts. I pray through your word today that you would shape us more and more as you do every day through your word. Uh, keep us, keep us from a version of manhood and a version of fatherhood that any moral man could lead. But show us the way that is only by your spirit and only because of your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. Do that in our hearts and in our lives. Amen. Amen. John G. Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. That's a, a group of islands in the South Pacific. Uh, during the second half of the 19th century, he, he served there between the years of um, 1858 all the way to about the day of his death in 19. Uh, the, the early 1900s, 1907 was when his wife died, and that's maybe when he stepped away. Uh, he was a massive um, influence for missions in his day. He, he grew great awareness, enthusiasm, and support from his home in Scotland and also Australia for the missions movement in the New Hebrides, and he was a, a source of inspiration for missions that is still felt today. But his accomplishments were not without their own, you know, trouble. 
travails, you could say. His, his early accounts in particular, if you can work your way through his autobiography and all of its kind of older English, if you can manage to work your way through it, is quite an exciting tale of trouble that he had to endure. He, for one, chose to preach the gospel to islands that were filled with headhunters, cannibals. One night, he was even forced to escape them by climbing into a tree. And he had to spend the entire night in the tree as they were hollering and shouting at the base of the tree. And another time, very early on, when he first arrived at the first island, his wife, after giving birth to their first son, died of fever. And then his, his young infant son died shortly thereafter. And he had to bury them both in the same grave. And then for, for nights, he had to sleep on top of their grave so that the, the natives of the island wouldn't dig those bodies up and eat them. He faced many troubles and trials. But my, my favorite part when I, when, I, when I recall the story of John Patton is when he talks about what sustained him, particularly in those early years of missions. He would, of course, first say that it was the grace and strength and power of Jesus that sustained him through all of that. But he's also very clear to talk about the means that Jesus used in his life to strengthen him and shape him. And that was a godly father. It was, a, it was the prized memory of his dad that brought him incredible strength early on in his mission endeavors. He writes this. He writes this about the, the final walk he took with his dad before he left for the New Hebrides. And this is a long paragraph, a long quote. You'll quickly see how it could be difficult to read this autobiography as I try to read it. But I want to read this all to you just to show the impact of a father. John Patton writes this, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. The tears are on my cheek as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow but in later years white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in, in looks of which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed uh, parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. 
and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I, I was round the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and too sore to carry me farther. So I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then, rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he was yet still where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down and set his face towards home and began to return his his head still uncovered and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayer for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze and then hastening on my way vowed deeply and often by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me The appearance of my father when we parted, his advice, prayers, and tears, the road, the dike, the climbing up on it, and then walking away, head uncovered, have often, often, all through life, risen vividly before my mind, and do so now while I am writing, as if it had been but an hour ago. My early years, particularly, When exposed to many temptations, his parting form rose before me as that of a guardian angel. That's the picture of a father that has made a difference. The father that has made an impact in the life of his son. Had been used mightily. This is a concept I want to to put before you as as a prized father. and, And the concept of prized fatherhood. And my exhort to you this morning is let's take up the role that our God has given us and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us to be present in our home and not not just present but to be pervasive in the influence in our home so that our children may not just know us but prize us for our influence. What does it look like to be a prized father? Where does that come from? I want to suggest to you today on the pages of scripture that it comes from a the pervasive influence of wisdom in your life. Wisdom in the biblical sense is not just the high Q, uh, high IQ, it's not just brain power or knowledge, it is biblically speaking skill, ability and a desire to apply the word of God and the knowledge that you have from God. It is skill and ability and desire to apply what you know. So knowledge is required for wisdom, but wisdom is a skill with that knowledge, a delight in that knowledge, an eagerness to apply that knowledge. And and where do you learn God's wisdom for your life? 
Well, I would suggest to you that the answer is right there in front of you in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs offers us more than just short statements of wisdom, although it does offer us that for sure. It is also itself a great fathering guidebook. You could say it like this, it is both your curriculum and also your example at the same time. Are you becoming a a Proverbs father? Then you are becoming a prized father. To, To the extent in which the wisdom of Proverbs is in you, you will become a prized father. The book of Proverbs is the best book to go to for parenting help, I would say. It's God's inspired parenting manual. But, and I'm also convinced this morning, it, it's, it's more than just wisdom for parenting. It comes to you from a helpful, real-life setting. It, it's, it's a father actually talking, and sometimes a mother talking, but primarily it comes to you as a, a father talking to his son about the truths of life and trying to instill wisdom in him. The Bible comes to us all the time in real life settings. The New Testament is filled with letters to real churches, real people, and someone addressing their issues. And I think the the book of Proverbs is a, a real dad trying to communicate true life wisdom to his son. And 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 so this morning, think about it this way. Proverbs is is not just just a a string of wise sayings. It is an example of fatherhood in and of itself. It's a guidebook. It's this is what a dad looks and sounds like. Do you look and sound like this? It's not just inspired words for parents. Look at this. It is also an inspired example of who you are called to be, what you are called to do. How you are called to sound. So what does is, what is a prized father look like? Let's examine this. I, I, I always like having fun at my table with my outline trying to guess what Steve's points are. So of course I had to give you a fill-in-the-blank outline as well. The first, the first picture of a prized father, obviously, he wields Stormbreaker. No, that's not true. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for that gift. Uh, First off, he wields primary spiritual influence. He wields primary spiritual influence. Here's just a a, a basic principle that I'm operating under this morning. God intends to use relationships in our lives to shape and fashion us with wisdom for his glory and our good. God intends to use relationships to do that, to shape and fashion us with wisdom for His glory and our good. God does that through all sorts of relationships, right? God does that through good iron-on-iron discipleship sharpening that we're trying to promote and produce here through First Watch Ministry. 
God also uses a godly wife to shape and fashion us. God also uses a good employer to shape and fashion us. God uses all sorts of relationships in our life to shape and fashion us into wisdom for his glory and our good. But who holds God's call as the first and primary fashioner in our life? I would suggest to you that it is the Father, the wise and godly Father. He holds first and primary place in the list of relationships that shape and fashion. You you can't read the book of Proverbs without coming away with this opinion. And this was pressed on me heavily when I was reading Proverbs. Look, for example, at Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Hear, my son, your father's discipline, and do not abandon your mother's instruction, for they are a garland of grace for your head and ornaments about your neck. Notice also the, the... Notice also just a simple observation here. Whose voice do we primarily hear in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs 1.8, hear my son, your father's instruction. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you. Proverbs 1.15, my son, do not walk in their ways. 2.1, my son, if you will receive my words. 3.1, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart guard my commandments. 3.21, my son, let them not deviate from your eyes. Guard sound wisdom and discretion. 4.10, my son... And receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. 4.20, my son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 5.1, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my discernment. 5.7, so now, my sons, listen to me, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. 5.20, why should you, my son, be intoxicated with a strange woman? 6-1, my son, if you have become a guarantor for your neighbor, have struck your hands in pledge. 6-3, three, uh, six, three, do this, my son, and deliver yourself. 6-20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not abandon the law of your mother. 7.1 My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. 7.24 So now, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to my words, the words of my mouth. Proverbs 19.27 Cease listening, my son, to discipline and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Proverbs 23.15 My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will be glad. Um, 23.19 You, my son, listen and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Proverbs 23.26 Give your heart to me, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. 24.13 Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Indeed, the honey of the comb is sweet to your taste. 24.21 My son, fear Yahweh and the king and do not associate with those who change. And then finally, Proverbs 27.11 Be wise, my son, and Make my heart glad that I may respond with a word to him who reproaches me. Twenty-three times in the book of Proverbs, we have a father directly exhorting his sons or son in some way. And to me, that's very significant. 
few implications that that presents for us, right? The, the father, number one, is to be the leading voice in his children's life, right? He is the leading voice in his children's life. I'm not saying he's doing most of the talking, but I'm saying he is the leading voice, the dominant voice, the pervasive voice. We get this sense when we read Proverbs, don't we, that the Father's voice is the constant voice, whether spoken or unspoken, in the home. And doesn't that mesh well with passages like Deuteronomy 6-7 that talk about parenting this way? Deuteronomy 6-7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons, that's the commandments of the Lord, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The Father's voice primarily. But notice another implication of all of these references. His voice is heard. You can't be a leading voice in your house if you never speak. He is verbal, vocal. Matter of fact, turn over to Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. Now, perhaps I am putting some of my own little spin on this. But let me suggest to you that a good father, a wise father, a prized father has such a pervasive voice in the life of his children that his, that his presence follows them around for the rest of their life like an imaginary friend. Look at Proverbs 6.20. My son, observe the commandments of your father and do not abandon the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep watch over you. And when you are awake, they will speak to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman and the smooth talk of the foreign woman. The Father has great power. His words can follow and protect His sons from the evil woman, from the foreign woman. He is like an imaginary friend. Or also, another implication we could make of this slew of references referring to the Father's exhortation. It is apparent, isn't it? That the Father, He is the one starting the conversations about all the most significant issues in life that His children will face. He's the one bringing up the dangers of the foreign woman. He's not waiting for Hollywood to bring up the dangers of the foreign woman. He's the one talking about the blessings and dangers of technology. He's not waiting for his children to kind of learn it on their own. He's the one talking about wisdom with money. He's the one talking about work ethic. And the list goes on and on. And perhaps some of you are saying, I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to start. I don't know what to say. Well, then I would simply tell you to put down the remote and take up the book of Proverbs and read and read. The wisdom is there. It's only our laziness that gets in the way. Or here's another implication from the Father's primary spiritual influence as well. Notice this. He is to be the spiritual thermostat of the home. 
He is not merely to be a reflection of the climate. He's not merely to be a thermometer in his home. He is to control the spiritual climate of his home. He sets the spiritual climate through his words primarily and his example that follows as well. There's another sweet memory that John Patton has of his father that I love. He remembers vividly as a son, after meals, his father would remove himself to his prayer closet. It was basically just a small closet in the middle of their little cottage house. And all the kids in the house knew what dad was doing in there. Matter of fact, they would tiptoe past it as though, in, in Patton's older words, as though they were passing the Holy of Holies itself. How did they know what was happening in there? Because they could hear him. They could hear him uh, offering up loud prayers with tears for them by name from his prayer closet every day. And they saw his face when he came out. It was a face of joy, of peace, and of love. And that did incredible incredible things in their young hearts and minds, knowing that their father was praying for them. Matter of fact, Patton would say, thinking back on those days, that he came away with the conclusion, he walked with God. Why may not I also? Just from his father's example, he saw a real living relationship with Jesus Christ that produced joy, soberness in life, and John himself, even as a young man, thought, I want that too. That was the father's influence. Now let me be clear here, this doesn't mean the mother does not teach or doesn't even teach more than the father. We see all sorts of references to the mother's words in the book of Proverbs. 1.8 is one of them. Chapter 31, it's a whole chapter of a mother speaking to her son. So I'm not saying women do not speak, but I'm simply arguing to you that the father's voice is to be the leading, directing one in the home. The, the pervasive voice in the home. A, a wise home, though, has two voices working in harmony with one another. A wise father often speaks to his kids from the knowledge that he has and the, 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 the awareness that he has that he derives from his wife's understanding of his children. But in the end, the mother's role, the mother's strength, is actually supported by the primary power of the father. Matter of fact, it is the father's, one of the father's works to strengthen the role of the mother underneath him. The, the son of the father needs to learn to care for his wife from the way he speaks and cares for his mother and this attitude of behavior is instilled in him from the father so all to say the, the father has incredible spiritual influence in the home he is an irreplaceable spiritual force for good in the lives of his children but be warned this implication, this thought also cuts the other way. He will either be an influence of incredible good, of wisdom, of godliness, of character, or he will be an incredible influence of evil, laziness, anger, and selfishness. The Father is always teaching. 
even when he is not speaking, he is teaching and he is instructing his children. He's always teaching about money. And he's always teaching about contentment by what he does with his own. He is always teaching about work ethic and satisfaction by his attitude towards his work and his family. He is always teaching his kid what to believe about the joys and pleasures of sex. He is always teaching about friendships through what he pursues and what he values. He is always teaching about religion by the habits that he forms in his own life and his attitude towards the weekly gathering of believers. He's always teaching about what he believes to be truly spiritual, spiritually dangerous. He is always teaching about the purpose of parenting. And he is always teaching his kids, he is daily teaching his kids about marriage. Whether it is a joy or a drudgery, whether it is a prize or a pain, whether it is a priority or an inconvenience, be sure, be warned, the Father is always teaching. When I talk to students about significant relationships in their life, I often talk about their relationship with parents. Because it is one of the most significant relationships in their life. And I want to be sure they know that and appreciate that. But I always come against two objections. When I talk about the significance of a parent. Or when I talk about the significance of a father. One of those objections is, what if my dad isn't all that great? What if he's not wise? What if he's not good? What if he's mediocre spiritually? I have to answer them. And believe me, I do answer them. That may be true. But you still have a man who has God's given role in you in your life. And, and the Bible still has promises even for imperfect fathers and you would do well to follow God's instruction and honor and submit to them even if they are imperfect. Now think, for example, about all of the imperfect fathers we have in Scripture that actually produced significant sons. David. He had some bad sons, but he also produced Solomon. And Solomon was imperfect for sure, but he gives us the book of Proverbs itself. And even think about this, Joseph himself, if there was ever an imperfect man, it was Joseph. And Jesus himself submitted himself to Joseph and obeyed him. So even if your dad is not perfect, you still have a call to humbly submit to him. And there is wisdom even to be found from an imperfect father. But then there's a second objection that I hear. What if my dad is not saved? What if my dad is not a believer? Well, then I would tell your students or your sons or your daughters this. That may be true. But he is still a vital use in your life. Your parents have a God-given role. And especially if they are unbelievers, if anything, your role in submitting yourself to them humbly is only increased. Because 
God has given unbelieving parents, believing children to show them the gospel through their works and through their living. And you have a calling, young one, if your father is not that great or if your father is an unbeliever, to never give him a reason to discipline you for sin. Because that would be, as 1 Peter 2.20 would say, of no credit and of no advantage to you. So if your father is an unbeliever, your calling only goes up. Because you are a witness in your, through your life and through your living. And you do not want to ruin your witness. Now, let's just stop here and make an exhortation to fathers. Don't let those two objections have any place in your home. Don't give the sinful hearts of young people any advantages they don't need to disregard you. Don't don't make it necessary to require the Word of God and the work of the Spirit in their heart to grow them to such an extent that they are able to honor and obey you despite you. And I would exhort... I want to exhort the young men even thinking about this. Look at the impact of your life. Look at the impacts of your life. Are you striving to be an example worth following? What's the difference between a father who is a force for good or prized by his kids and a father who is a force of all kinds of harm to his kids. Let's add to our picture, and yes, believe it or not, we're only on point number two, but I promise you we'll start zipping here in a minute. Let's add to our picture. What does a prized father also look like? Not only does he wield spiritual influence, he also speaks more than opinions. He speaks more than opinions. This is the difference between a father who will be prized and a father who will do great harm. He speaks more than opinions. You're you're probably feeling a tad uncomfortable, actually, by all of the references I'm employing about how a father speaks to his kids if we follow the example of Proverbs. Right? I mean... Three, three verse one. The father says this. Should, should I say this to my son when I, when I go home? My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart guard my commandments. Or Proverbs 6.20, my son, observe the commandments of your father and do not abandon the law of your mother. Should I really speak to my children this way? Uh, Proverbs 23.26, give your heart to me, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Should I, can I really speak this way to my children? Now, be ve- now, let me be very clear. I do not want you to take away the application that your word is law, a higher law than God's law in the life of your kids. That's not the point I was trying to make at all. But I want to point something out to you about the place of your opinions in your parenting. Look, for example, at Proverbs 26, 23. Proverbs 26, 23. The commandment is a lamp and a law, and the law is light. The reproofs for discipline are the way of life. See that? 
Notice he refers to his instruction, that's the Father's instruction, as a lamp and as a light. That metaphor sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And here we have the Father saying my words, my instruction are lamps and lights. Or Psalm 19 verse 8 The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. Or you could look over you don't have to, but I'll read it to you. Proverbs twenty four thirteen. The Father's wisdom is like honey to the soul. That's how he describes his wisdom. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Indeed, the honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is thus for your soul. It's like honey. My wisdom is like honey for your soul. Once again, that metaphor sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Psalm 19, verse 10, describing the word of the Lord. They are more desirable than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And flip over to Proverbs 7, verse 1. Proverbs 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend in order to keep you from the strange woman, from the foreign woman who flatters with her words. This father speaks as if his words are the very words of God. Don't you see that? Honey, gold, lamps, light. This father is speaking to his children, to his son in particularly, as if his words are God's words. Now now to be clear, this, this is because they are God's words. Because Solomon is preaching inspired wisdom here. He is, he is not just speaking his opinions about life. He's, he, but he's speaking, notice, Solomon is speaking to his sons inspired opinions. Once again, he, he speaks this way because he is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Inspired opinions. But, but isn't there a great and gripping implication in all of this for us this morning? The prized father should speak his opinions to his children. But his opinions should be, must be, so saturated in God's word that they no longer are opinions alone. You should speak passionately with opinion as you have been shaped by the Word of God. You should speak inspired opinions because of how the Word of God has gotten in your soul and transformed your mind and your thinking. How can you do that? When your mind and heart has long marinated in the Word of God and His wisdom, your wisdom will be shaped by His wisdom. Your opinions will become his opinions. You will hate what he hates and love what he loves. That is what the sanctified mind looks like. You have inspired opinions that your kids can easily trace back to the word of God. 
You, you speak more than opinions. You speak opinions that are saturated with the Word of God because you have been in it for years. A silly illustration for a while. Don't want to miss this on the recording. For a while in my life, I was at a school in Texas. And I came from Minnesota to Texas. Up in Minnesota, we, we, we say things a little bit different than the way they speak down there in Texas. But after spending two years there, I, I was just the other day watching our graduation video where I had a part to play in the graduation video and I spoke a little bit. And I was listening to myself and just laughing, hollering, because I have this southern accent all of a sudden. Because I've been spending so long listening to southerners. I finally removed myself from their presence and now I have gotten back to the, the godly way to speak, which is the way I speak, I'm sure. But notice, your, the way you sound is shaped by the community that you surround yourself with. And the same thing is true with you and the Word of God. I would suggest to you, you are shaped by what you listen to and what you surround yourself with. So I would argue with you today, that, that you can have incredible good and profitable opinions to share to your children, but only as far as those opinions are saturated with the wisdom that you find in the Word of God. That don't, let your, don't let your children look at you and see someone that has opinions that are no different than your good, moral, unbelieving neighbor. Don't just be another conservative American. Try being radically different. Be radically born again by the power of the Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. Have that be your shaping opinion. And that is the opinion that your children see in your life every single day. Because, I'd say this, the Father's influence is great and your influence in your opinions is great. Matter of fact, God made you to be an influence in your opinions to your children. Children naturally look up to their fathers and want to mirror their preferences and their opinions. Another silly illustration. It's one of my, one of my side missions in youth ministry to make every single student a fan of the Minnesota Vikings. I try very hard. I'm always talking about how great they are in the regular season. <laughs> it's always next year it's always next year Minnesota Vikings but you know what I have a really hard time overcoming the influence of fathers your children will not quickly turn to my side the good side because they follow your side it is hard to overcome a father's influence be that father. Your children were made to prize your opinions, so make those opinions count. Make them count. Can you say, Proverbs 6, 20 and 23, can you say that, that that is true of your words? My son, observe my commandments. Verse 21, bind them continually on your heart. Would you want your opinions to be bound continually on the heart of your kids? Would you want them to tie them around their necks? <clears throat> be a dad. 
who speaks with truth, with passion. Be a dad who speaks passionately and believes passionately because your opinions are not just your opinions. They're more than opinions. They are opinions shaped by the Word of God. Make your opinions, make your opinions count. By the way, really quick, this, this applies another way too. Uh, be a dad who consistently also puts your family under the authority of God's Word. Your kids know that it's not just your opinion, but it's your word by how you relate to the authority of God's word. Do you intentionally put your family under the influence of God's word at the church? Your your family's involvement in the church actually reveals whether you are a man of the word or you're just a man of your own opinions on your own island of truth. But let's move to our next, our next picture of a prized father. Now, I said I would really move fast here. These next two points I'll move quicker through. Uh, point three, he forges an easy path to follow. He forges an easy path to follow. Turn over to Proverbs 4, verse 11. Proverbs 4, verse 11. He forges an easy path to follow. The Father says this, I have instructed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright tracks. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. This Father is teaching, but He's also leading by example. And His his example is worthy to be followed. And notice the prize of such a Father like this. His way gives those who follow Him an advantage in their life. They have an easier way in life because they follow His way. Think about this. Your kids do not have to wander and wonder about the things of this world if you're doing your job right. Your kids do not have to suffer in sin in this world if you're doing your job right. The proverb, proverb verse 11 says, I have led you in upright tracks. It's the same word that you see in Psalm 23 for wagon tracks. They're, they're easy to follow. They don't, just, they don't let you just work your own way through the brush and the trees and the rocks. There's a road cut for you, before you. Being a child of a godly man is an immense spiritual advantage to the child. It saves them from all sorts of costly mistakes, and it will even add years to their life. Now, I'm not talking about being a snowplow parent or being a helicopter parent. Do you know what that is? It's the kind of parent that's trying to protect their kids from all difficulty. They, they do all of the homework for them. They move them into the dorm room for them. They pay all of the bills in their young adult for them. They let, they let their kids stay in their basement for forever. You guys don't have basements, but you get the idea, right? They, they do everything for their kids so their kids never have any problems in their life. I'm not talking about being a helicopter, snowplowing parent. I'd say those parents actually undervalue the great benefit of difficulty in the life of their children. 
I am saying be a parent who prepares the spiritual way ahead of your kids so that they can maximally benefit from those troubles that are so good for them when they come. From those responsibilities that they have to learn when they come. They can benefit from troubles and trials and they don't have to suffer through sin in order to benefit. The next point on your outline is a parallel point to this, so we'll just add it really quick. He also provides a continual inheritance. He provides a continual inheritance. A godly father is a legacy that his children can stand on for years to come and can benefit from for years to come. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says this, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. Or turn over to Proverbs 13.22. Proverbs 13.22. It says this about a godly man. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now what is he talking about there with inheritance? It's probably primarily referring to financial provision. Proverbs 37, 25 seems to repeat this idea. I was a young man and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. A godly man is a wise man and generally is a hard-working man and he provides for his family and his family does not beg for bread. But possibly also in this idea of inheritance, we also see a a protection piece as well. Proverbs 14.27 says this, In the fear of Yahweh there is strong security and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 13.22 talks about the, the continual inheritance that children receive from their parents. It is an inheritance of wisdom, financially for sure, protection as well, but there's so many spiritual inheritances that the children can also receive. I, for one, am a man who have, has received much from my dad. And not very much of it was money. But I am so thankful for everything I have received from my dad. And it continues to slow drip its way into my life. And provides me with great provision and protection. Now, you can see it there. Proverbs 13.22 has a flip on it. You've got to read the second half as well. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Uh, with sinners, notice, there is no reference to children, no reference to discipleship. That's not on their radar. They're living for now, and their children suffer for it because there is nothing left to them. It goes to someone else. All of their work, all of their labor is, is kind of a an investment account for someone else. And notice it's ironic because they give their wealth to who? The righteous. The righteous man has multiple inheritances left up for his kids. And one of those is receiving all of the riches of the wicked man, you could say, according to Proverbs 13.22. Let's move to our, our final picture of a prized father. He wields primary spiritual influence. He speaks more than opinions. He forges an easy path to follow. He provides a continual inheritance. But finally, most significantly, listen to this, he is better than a friend. He is better than a friend. And once again, whenever I talk to students, 
about relationships and friendships, I always come away with the opinion that if we define a best friend biblically, one of their best friends in their life are their parents. If we were to define what a best friend is truly biblically, your best friend is possibly your parent. I love the the, the definition of best friend from Chuck Swindoll. He says, a best friend is someone who knows enough about you to ruin you, but doesn't. <laughs> uh, yes, I say to young people, I say, I, I, I say that you, the parent, probably are their best friend because you know more about them than anybody else and you still love them. You still hang out with them. You don't desert them. But let me tell you, as parents and future parents and future dads, that you are not called to be their best friend. Good parents are called to be more than just friends. Good parents are called to be parents. Good dads are called to be dads. Parents are called to be a guide and a cause to grow their children through instruction and correction. And sometimes that doesn't always feel friendly. Sometimes you need some friendly fire in your life. That is what a real friend does. What happens if a parent doesn't discipline, doesn't correct? We see this example all throughout Scripture. 1 Kings 1.6, David never, it was said, never challenged his son Adonijah. And his life ended in a violent death. First Samuel 2 and 3 talks about Eli, how he was too afraid to ever correct his sons. Eli lets them do all sorts of horrible sins, particularly in the presence of God. And they, of course, suffer gross sin and violent death. And even though we do see Eli talk to his sons about their sin, we never get this idea that he is actually rebuking and correcting them. Because when we get God's inspired opinion in 1 Samuel 3.13, the Lord himself says, you knew what they were doing and you never rebuked them. Eli's words were soft. Eli's words were trying to just be friendly with his sons. And for that, they led a life that resulted in a violent, gross death. But Proverbs speaks something more to fathers, how we are to be more than just friends. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not direct your soul to put him to death. The parent who seeks to just be on friendly terms with their children is likened to someone who willingly lets their children stumble into destruction. And believe this, believe this, that little bundle of joy is also a bundle of sin and will become a bundle of evil unless they have a dad that is willing to not always be their friend. Proverbs 22, 15 says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, however, will remove it far from him. There's something important you need to understand. We don't always start out naturally good. No, we are told in God's word that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. A 
child is born with an inborn and innate foolishness about them and an evil principle that governs their life. That very word bound up speaks of something being bound so close and tied so firmly that you cannot separate yourself from it. For, for example, funny, funny uh, reference here, Job 41.5 speaks of seeking to control or bind the Leviathan with a leash so you can treat it like a pet. What, how, why do you bind something so that you can control it? What binds itself around you controls you. And that is what Proverbs is saying about the heart. What binds, binds your heart controls your heart. And he's saying that sin, folly, is bound up controlling the heart of a child. Or Job 44, or sorry, Genesis 44.30 speaks of Jacob's heart being bound up in the life of his son Benjamin. Benjamin was his, his, his favorite son because Joseph was gone from all he knew. And, Joseph, and Benjamin was the last son of his beloved wife. Um, and so his heart was bound up with Benjamin. But what does that tell you about this idea of having a heart that's bound up? A heart that is bound by something is controlled by that thing. And a young man's heart that's bound by sin is controlled by sin and folly. Now to be very clear here, there is a difference between an old fool and a young fool. I always like thinking about this because you, you see this concept in Proverbs about somebody being simple, needing instruction, and then you see somebody being simple and being an old idiot. But there's a difference between an old fool and a young fool. What is that difference? Well, a preschooler is a fool. Don't believe me? I'll show you some preschoolers. (laughs) But a preschooler displays a natural foolishness of heart. It's a folly that is without correction, without discipline, and is in great need of those things. Martin Luther refers to being curved into ourselves or bent inward. That is, that is what sin is. We are naturally sinners, therefore we are naturally bent inward. We are always doing naturally what is right in our own eyes. We are blind to our own folly and to our own foolishness. And I just described a preschooler. I'm right, you're wrong. That toy is mine, clearly, because I saw it. My way is right. You're always right. Everyone else is always wrong. Our will is wisdom. And your job as a father is to show them that no, your will is folly. And folly is bound up in your heart. I always like to say, right? You you don't sit down with a two-year-old and explain to him, explain to him how to be selfish. You don't need to do that. You don't need to to have a five-point lesson about foolishness. They give you their own five-point message about foolishness, and you just point it out. This kind of foolishness can only be driven out, the proverb says, by consistent and determined application of the rod of discipline. Foolishness and even folly can be driven out, but only through faithful parenting. And then this is where I tell your kids once again, do you realize that you should be thanking God for the mercy of giving you a parent who loves you enough to not be your friend all the time? You should thank God for that. But what is a preschooler unattended? They quickly become an old fool. 
And that's where we get our, our second foolishness. Not only do we see a natural folly of the heart, but we see a hardened foolishness of the heart. This is someone who rejects correction, direct, uh, rejects discipline, and they go in their own way to destruction. All this to say, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and you are the means to drive it from them. And that kind of father is a prize. A prize to his children, even though he might not always look like a prize. Your call is not always to be prized in your children's eyes, but to be prized in God's eyes. That is your call. Matter of fact, think about it this way. You, Dad, are you are on a mission. You are on a rescue mission to deliver your children from themselves and rescue them from the way of folly. I love that picture that Ted Tripp gives us in Shepherding a Child's Heart. You are rescuing your kids. And be sure to always tell them that. This is where your foolishness will lead, and this is what I'm bringing you back into. I'm rescuing you from you. Proverbs 22.15 says this folly, once again, is bound up in the heart of child. But the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Thank your parent for the rod. It makes them wise. It saves you from yourself. Proverbs 29.15 The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You, without discipline, would be a very different you. A frightening you, a terrifying you. Thank God for your parents and their willingness, particularly your father's willingness to not just be your friend, but to be your father. A few final comments. This will not be an automatic result. The Proverbs are not promises, they are predictions of outcome. Kids won't always respond well to correction. Your kids won't always prize you as, your, as a dad if you do this. Prized fatherhood is not also just using the rod all the time. You can't look over the book of Proverbs and say, this dad just speaks with the rod. He speaks ten times, and one of those times is the rod. It is one aspect of his influence, not all. All of this also is, is a great call for humility as a father, Right? Because you are a vehicle, an instrument of grace in the life of your children. But you are also the result of an instrument of grace in your own life. So be very humble. You are in God's position, by God's grace, to do good for your kids. And another thing to just point out, you can only do this. You can only live uh, a life of a prized father by the strength that God provides through the Holy Spirit, by His Word. You can only do this through God's Word. You can only win a war from tactical high ground. And you have been given this high ground through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Spirit, you have the high ground in fighting against folly in your home. But only through the power of the Spirit. And perhaps some of you are thinking, I am too far gone to even start thinking about this. Well, I would say that very attitude is the best way to be a father. 
to be a humble man who says, I don't know anything and I'm going to God's word and I'm depending on God's spirit for everything. Let me close by asking you the question one more time. Are you going after true greatness as a man and as a father? Are, Are you pursuing something that any moral man could pursue? Or are you pursuing something that is evidence of the Spirit of God and evidence of the blood of Christ? And then finally, if, if, if I were to preach, say, a message on the significance of relationships, say, this summer to youth group, perhaps, would you be ready for that? Would you be just an objection Or would you be an example? Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this time in your word. Let it sink into our hearts and minds. Let let it change us one word at a time. One moment at a time. One hour at a time. May we be truly sanctified through it. Through your son. By your spirit. Amen.